Thaddeus Ellenberg presents Casual Friday. Written and read by Thaddeus Ellenberg. My Confession. Sitting in a center pew at the Holy Trinity Church in Culver Run with my wife and our two kids, listening to a sermon on repentance and still carrying the weight of that morning's breakfast fiasco, I'm reminded of all the terrible things I've done in my life up to this point. My conscience is heavy and I feel it's time I come clean. This is my confession. In the fourth grade, while enrolled in Miss Hooper's math class, I cheated on my long division exam thanks to a timid kid named Simon Wallace and his ever-giving generosity, a trait of his I took advantage of far too often. Last I heard, Simon was serving a two-year sentence at the Buddy May Correctional Facility for a similar offense and that his wife is a floozy. I feel awful about my actions. They were recklessly inconsiderate and unseemly selfish. Not to mention in poor taste given Simon's handicap and the extra-large desk he occupied which made it easier to see off his paper. I still to this day cannot do long division, even though I work for the Panhandle's largest and oldest CPA group. That being said, I would also like to confess to a Miss Dorothy Lehman and a mistake I made on her 84 return. Looking back on it, I should have moved the decimal. She was right, and I owe her another zero. In Maryville, Wisconsin, I attended a rock concert on the Justin Harlow performance lawn. And when the lead singer of the opening band came out on stage, he screamed with fiery intent, Is everybody ready to rock? I shouted, Hell yeah! at the top of my lungs along with the rest of my concert-going friends, when in fact I was not ready to rock. I feel an overbearing sense of guilt for misleading all five original and preceding members of White Tongue, the crews that made that evening's concert possible, and the over 8,000 people in the audience that were, in fact, ready to rock. My wife and I have been married for 21 years, and in the latter portion of our union, four years to be exact, my wife has asked me on a total of 562 occasions whether or not an outfit makes her look too hippie. Each time I put her worry at ease with a simple and kind, honey, you're crazy, you look wonderful. I have lied to my wife on every single one of these incidences, and have been sitting with the weight of said deception for far too long. At age 11, while at my great-grandfather's wake, I gave a cookie to an unattended toddler sitting at the end of the buffet, only to find out moments later that the little fellow was in fact diabetic. When confronted on what had happened, I blamed the incident on my second cousin's four-year-old, who was in fact two years older and considerably larger, not to mention conceived out of wedlock with a man from the pet store. When my mother and I were alone, I exclaimed on the matter and the child who I had just condemned, saying, that one is bad news. I would like to confess to the two children involved and their parents, my mother, and the entire room of mourners and freeloaders, my apologies to both, on hand that day for Bingo Pappy's viewing. I'm just ill over the whole thing. However, in my defense, I would like to knock the mother of the diabetic boy for setting her child at the sweet end of the buffet table. To Bill and Stacy Newgarden, 
I was the one responsible for flipping the orientation of the toilet paper in the downstairs bathroom during your dinner party last year. To make matters worse, I was the one that accused that nice-looking man with the green sweater and comb-over, bringing him into the foreground of everybody's suspicion. I stood there in the kitchen with the two of you after everyone else had left, making tasteless schoolyard jokes about the man's backside and his wide, pleated khakis, knowing good and well he was innocent and I was the guilty one. I just feel horrible about the whole thing. My behavior that evening was vulgar and insensitive. In fact, it just plain stunk. I hope you can forgive me. Now that you know, I pray our relationship can move forward unbridled. Your friendship means the world to me. Even though I think you're a couple of psychos for preferring the toilet paper under to over, you know it's touching the wall, right? When my daughter was eight years old, she performed in a third grade play entitled Mr. Squirrel and His Nutty Friends. In the midst of her big line, a man from the audience yelled, Put some heart into it or get off the stage! Well, honey, that man was me. That's why all those people were staring at us as we left the auditorium. And you were so cute. You thought even at your young age that they were feeling sympathetic toward you. You're so bright. When in fact they were fixated in wide-eyed gaze at your callous father. I can't tell you how broken up I am over the whole thing. It feels so wonderful to finally fess up to this one. I've not been looking forward to it at all. Then again, I don't know if I was completely in the wrong that evening. I mean, sweetie, I love you more than life itself. You've turned into such a beautiful and well-rounded young woman, and I would never offer you a discouraging word, but you're a terrible actor. You have no talent. You can't emote. You couldn't move me with a forklift. And I'm a Pisces for Pete's sake. There, I said it. I rigged the 93 Shulin County Watermelon Growing Competition, of which I was a judge. I gave Blue Ribbon recipient Albert Cox the synthetic agent to assure his entry came out on top. Not to mention the fact that I made a killing in his victory. I put down a couple C notes on Albert via that rough looking guy who's always smacking his gum in the corner of that place by the interstate. You know, the corked barrel. Moreover, I introduced a stunting serum to the submission of contest favorite, Charlie Paxton which moments before the judging commenced had reduced Charlie's watermelon to the size and consistency of a rotten grapefruit. I got the concoction from that gypsy fella who owned the deli behind the car wash. I'm disgusted at my actions and feel sickened over the whole thing. My conduct was unbelievably dishonest and frankly inexcusable. I defrauded an entire town and cheated its hardworking citizens out of a long-lasting and cherished honor. I'd like to take this time to formally apologize to the following. The people of Shulin County who trusted me, a seemingly impartial member of the panel, and a man whose supposed passion for watermelon growing outweighed his own quest for personal gain. The Shulin County Farmers Association, who each year put on a hell of a contest that nobody can deny. And most importantly, Charlie Paxton. I robbed Charlie of his respected title, and because of it, people snicker openly at him in public, and his children no longer call him daddy. Charlie has since given up on watermelons altogether, and it breaks me up inside. He now works exclusively with figs, an embarrassing substitute that undeniably has rival watermelon growers rolling in their patches in full-blown hysterics. I just feel awful. From May of 97 to November of 98, I walked around with a handful of fake flies in my pocket which I used to get free meals at restaurants. 
I purchased them from Eddie's Joke Shop at 35 cents a fly, five for a dollar. I started small with soups and salads, then worked my way up to pastas. For a while there, I even did desserts. I once brazenly inserted a fly into a seven ounce New York strip. I came up with this ingenious cross-cut technique that, had it been used several times over, would have proven immune to detection. I'm sure it goes without saying I was the one responsible for the fly fiasco you undoubtedly read about in the papers during the summer of 98. Yes, I am the infamous fly man. I can't begin to explain the shame and embarrassment I've been sitting with these past several years. I look at my family now and think of our nights out to dinner together, and their smiling faces as they enjoyed a plate of chicken fingers before I distracted them with a mere, hey, what's that, and dropped a fly into their food. I was a little mixed up in those days. I had just received my poorest cholesterol report in years and had pretty much given up on life. There was a series of new restaurants in the area offering chowders and stews at an outrageous price, and well, I guess I flew off the handle a little. Actually, come to think of it, I wouldn't even consider what I did a crime. Six dollars for a bowl of chili? I mean, come on. Ten for a BLT? And I'm supposedly the criminal in all this. You know what? I don't regret a thing. I mean, not only did I save on over a year and a half worth of food, talk about a rush. God, I miss it. Why, if I could, I'd walk right out of this service and down to Eddie's Joke Shop and get me a few dozen flies. If only it hadn't been turned into that male strip club. You know, the one next to that billboard with the blonde guy on it with no shirt. The one that looks like he's eyeing you while you wait in the turning lane. There's just nothing quite like filling up on a sizable portion of eggplant parm and a half a bottle of wine and leaving the restaurant without even opening your wallet. Sometimes I got cocky and loosened my belt on the way out. I'd sell my wife for a night just to chase that high. Finally, I would like to confess my most heinous of transgressions to a Mr. Ernie Lofton with whom I shared a train car from Los Angeles to Chicago last month. For two days, I convinced Mr. Lofton I was holding his family captive at an undisclosed location outside the city. I achieved a maximum level of verisimilitude using simple parlor tricks I picked up from a mentalist show I took in during my stay in California. I asked a series of straightforward questions, which made it seem like I had knowledge and insight into his life. I had never met this man before, but was bored and had left my book back at the hotel. For 48 hours, I played the gentleman kidnapper, cool and calculated. I made my demands in short and with little thought. Firstly, I asked him for his hat, then his tie, and eventually his shoes. I told him that if he tried to contact anyone on or off the train, that I would notify my associate to carry out the deed. When he asked who my associate was, I panicked and blurted out, Bob, the name of the guy that delivers the donuts to work each morning. Feeling sorry for putting this poor man through such anguish, I took Mr. Lofton to the dining car and treated him to dinner. Salmon and asparagus with mashed potatoes from scratch. And by treated, I mean we split the bill down the middle and I took care of the tip, which I charged to Mr. Lofton an expense that also included my meal. Old habits are hard to break. I'm so ashamed of myself. I can't begin to express how deeply remorseful I am. This truly is one of those proceedings I feel cannot be forgiven. I lie awake at night thinking of Mr. Lofton returning home to his family, shoeless and without hat or tie, greeting them with a loving and relieved embrace, and I can't help but think to myself, if I had it to do all over again, I would have also taken his suit. Oh well, as always next time, bring on the communion.
been a production of Thaddeus Ellenberg's Casual Friday. Written and read by Thaddeus Ellenberg. With an introduction by Nicole Kalasich. And artwork by Adrian Lobel. This series is independently produced by Thaddeus Ellenberg and Will Scoville. To find more episodes and information, visit our website at casualfridaypodcast.org or email us at contact.casualfriday at gmail.com.